Hello and welcome to Horror Cult Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash to pieces of genre cinema. My name's Chris. I'm Gary. And this week we are discussing one of the 90s most notorious films. It's been much ridiculed. It's been very controversial. And I think a little misunderstood. It's Striptease from 1996. I don't even know if it's misunderstood. I think it's just a case of misogyny in the 90s, if I'm honest. But I think that's led to the misunderstanding yeah. of the film. People knew what they were going to think of this film before they even watched it. Absolutely. I mean, you know, a lot of uh, pent-up sexual frustration in the 90s, clearly, uh, before internet porn. Uh, and men getting upset because uh, a big time actress getting a kit off in a film, and getting paid a really good amount to do it. That but is, I also yeah. think you know there there were women as well that didn't understand mm. or, or didn't agree with what the film was about. Um, we'll get into it obviously during the episode. Yeah, but I think it is very much a product of its time. And the reaction to the film is also very much a product of its time. Definitely. I was expecting uh, another Showgirls from this. but Yeah. Uh, I was also expecting a trash to piece, given its IMDb rating and the reputation and everything. That's not what I got. No, it's... It, it Obviously, it's not a masterpiece. It's not a five-star. It's not Oscar-winning. But I, th- I think, I hope that during this episode we can shed a different kind of light onto the film. Because yeah. I, I, d- I do think it is an interesting film. Yeah. But yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get into it. It's written and directed by Andrew Bergman, who made Isn't She Great? It Could Happen to You, Honeymoon in Vegas, The Freshman, Big Trouble, uh, So Fine. And oh, he's also wow. the writer of Soap Dish, Blazing Saddles, <gasps> no. Fletch, Pause of Fury, The Legend of Hank, and more. Wow. This is from the writer of Soap Dish and Blazing Saddles. Oh my god. Love Soap Dish. Uh, Big Trouble, that's the Shelley Long Bet Midler film, isn't it? Or is it Lily Tomlin? So. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, and uh, Honeymoon in Vegas, Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah. So, um,. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they're prestige films, but he's got a huge Blazing Saddles. Is... Of course, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, very well regarded. Uh, it's based on the book by Carl Heisen. Uh, it was made on a budget of $40 million, and it made $113.3 million at the box office. Mm-hmm. Again, mm-hmm. this is before internet porn. Yeah, what Andrew Bergman said, he said that the movie did better than almost anything that he's ever been involved with. And he said that all the subsidiary stuff was gigantic. People had said at the time, I wouldn't be caught dead seeing it. And the- suddenly, when it's available in a rental store, it's I'll Get Schindler's List and Striptease. Yeah. It's like when you're a kid and you're buying condoms at a drugstore, but you buy 12 tubes of toothpaste too. Mm-hmm. To cover the fact that you're yeah. buying striptease. And I, I think it's very similar to Showgirls. Yeah. I, I, very, very similar to Showgirls in that sense. In that sense, yeah, definitely. I mean, it underwent last minute editing when preview audiences were laughing at the wrong parts. Yes. 
Um, again, I think it, I, I'm not gonna now. I obviously we reevaluated Showgirls recently and realized it's actually not a bad film, and a lot of it is by design. Something you could realize if you watch the rest of Paul Verhoeven's filmography. Um, but with this, I I don't know. I mean, I think it's got a lot to say, but I don't know if everything is by design. I don't think it's a satire, is what I'm saying. I think so. It's I do think trying to be a satire. Yeah, I I I yeah. I think when people laughed at the wrong parts, I've, I don't know if they were taken out because I don't. I just didn't get any sort of trash to piece from this. No, no, not at all. I think... A lot of it's camp. I mean, yeah. I don't know stuck camp for Absolutely. bad. Um, and I, I, I think a lot of people mistake camp for bad. Mm. You know, there's a nuance to camp. And it may not seem that way, but I definitely think there is. Yeah. Um, and as two gay men, you know... Sense camp in, in everything. I'm surprised, actually. See. I'm surprised this hasn't been picked up by the gays more than it has. I'm I'm surprised as well. I'm surprised as well. Sex on screen is a very delicate subject, mm-hmm. and there's the big hoo ha about violence on screen, and there always has, and there, there always will be. But sex on screen, I I think it is comparable in in yeah. the sense of this. This huge hoo ha about things, and this really, in in turn, compared to Showgirls, is actually quite tame. It is. It is. Yeah. I mean, I I always you know assumed erotic thriller from the iconic artwork, um, which by the way was always in blockbuster when I was growing up. Absolutely. Um, and it's got elements of erotic thriller in there, but it's not full on erotic thriller. No. And. The old adage is sex sells, mm. and it does. It's true, but you're not meant to tell anyone. No, and I think the thing is the 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 posters and the advertising for this film put sex at the forefront. Yeah, and so people had an idea about what the film was going to be, including myself, before ever watching mm-hmm. it. And you know, spoiler alert: there is no sex in this film. No, there is no sex. No. There's nudity. Yeah. But there's no sex. No. Yeah. I mean, it's a fucking 15. <laughs> it's, a, it's a 15. It, and it, it's, you know, it, it, it's kind of mild compared yeah. to what we see now. But at the time, you know, people were d- disgraced mm-hmm. and horrified and, you know, scathing yeah. about, about it. And I, I just don't... I personally don't think that's particularly fair. No, and of course, you know, um, the Razzies had a had a field day with it. Oh, if the Razzies hate anything, it's a sexually charged... Or, you know, an erotically charged mm. female-fronted film. Yeah. They fucking hate it. Yeah. It, uh, it was nominated for Worst Picture of the Decade for the 90s. Mm. It was, Which I think was won by Showgirls. Yeah, I think it was. Mm. Uh, nominated for Worst Supporting Actor, Burt Reynolds, and it won... That means maybe just... Well, <laughs> it, it won Worst Picture, Worst Actress, uh, Worst Screen Couple, Burt Reynolds and, Dem- and Demi Moore, Worst Director, Worst Screenplay, and Worst Original Song for Pussy Pussy Pussy, Who's Kitty Cat Are You? by Marvin Smokey Montgomery. Which... 
Barely in the film. It's barely in the film. Barely in the film. It, it wasn't because it is, of the name, let's face it. it. Yeah, it wasn't because of it. And also, it, it wasn't great. No. I did YouTube it afterwards. Yeah, it's... um, And when we say about the acting in this film, I... Well, let's let's talk about who's in it, and then we'll go yeah. through... Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, let's talk about who's in it in a section we like to call, Hey, I Know You. So, Demi Moore, Demi is, Moore. is back... Two weeks in a row on Horrorcore Trashover. Um, uh, she plays Erin Grant in this, and I and can tell you, <laughs> this is a fucking masterpiece compared to LOL. Yeah, this is the second film in a row where Demi Moore discusses pubic hair. It's true. Um, <laughs> and this is definitely the better of the two. Yes. Um, so she, of course, as I would have told you last week, she was in LOL, G.I. Jane, Ghost, Charlie's Angels, Full Throttle, and Decent Proposal. Few good men, etc., etc. Um, Jennifer Tilly actually came to her defense for this film uh, in an interview That's why we because stand, of uh, Tilly. all the backlash she received, um, and uh, said that the women who slammed more were actually hypocrites. So most of the women you hear running down to me more have done nude scenes or sex scenes in films. It has also been noted that a majority of Best Actress Oscar winners since 1970 have appeared nude on screen some multiple times. Yeah. And it, it it's it's the hypocrisy hypocrisy yeah. of the whole thing, and it's so what is prestigious nudity in film and what's not prestigious nudity in film? Mm-hmm. Why is some of it acceptable and the other not? I mean, the story being told requires nudity. Yeah, that is the story being told. You know, erotic dancing is a thing. Mm-hmm. It's they're, they're telling the story. You know, someone like Erin could be a real life. Yeah. Person. Now, obviously, the story itself is quite over the top. Um, it, it's part political thriller, really. Yeah. But the, the character of Erin is a real person. Yeah. That person does exist. Someone who is an erotic dancer or an exotic dancer. I'm not sure what the term is. Um, to, you know, get money for her family. Yeah. You know, and is that less prestigious than if you did some Merchant Ivory and took your clothes off? Or, you know, I remember, is it Glenda Jackson Mm. in 1970? She was the first Best Actress Oscar winner who did nudity, but it was in Women in Love. Yeah. It was, oh, D.H. Lawrence, of course, you know. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's way more acceptable. Yeah. I think it's all acceptable if it's telling a story. Mm-hmm. And this is telling a story. Well, I think what most of them hated was the fact that Demi Moore was paid $13 million well, yeah. to star in the film. Yeah, I mean, well, $12.5 million, mm. uh, she was paid, which is a record fee for an actress at that time. And it was made possible after a bidding war ensued between the producers of that f- of Striptease and G.I. Jane. Uh, each wanted her to star in their first film. The executives behind Striptease won when they offered her the more money of the two. Uh, and also, she's she's a wig wearer in, in this film. She's, Nicole Kidman would be proud. She would be proud. Because she shaved she's her not... head for G.I. Jane. Mm. She is wearing a wig for some of the reshoot scenes. Yeah, and I can tell, if I'm being honest. Uh, I can guarantee you one thing, and I, I don't know if it's a positive thing or not. But I can guarantee you that this film would not have made $113.3 million at the worldwide box office if Demi Moore 
wasn't in that and, and I think it's iconic iconic mm-hmm. poster yeah you know nude in mm-hmm. that iconic poster yeah it, it absolutely would not have made the money that no, it did of course not of course not and, and she's absolutely fine in her role she she does a good job yeah like I I really this whole oh terrible actress blah, blah, blah. no no what you mean is she got her clothes off and it made you uncomfortable that's absolutely that's the real thing that the critics are trying to say back in the nineties because. It's absolutely not because of her performance. This is not a bad performance by any means. There are bad performances in this film. Absolutely. But they're overlooked when it comes to talking about a film because Demi Moore's a spotlight because she's the one with her clothes off. She's one on the poster. Yeah. And it, it, it again, going back to that age-old question, to be paid $12.5 million to perform a, a nude scene or nude scenes in striptease, is that less acceptable than being paid one million dollars mm. to do a nude scene in some prestige film. Yeah. Like why 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 is there such a difference there? No no. Yeah. Uh Armand Asante is uh, in this as Lieutenant Al Garcia. He's in Judge Dredd, Gotti, American Gangster, The Mambo Kings, Prophecy, Goat, Kids vs. Monsters, Shark Swarm, and more. Now, just to um, differentiate that, it's not the John Travolta Gotti. Is it not? No, it's the, um, I think, a miniseries oh, okay. where he played Gotti and won an Emmy for it, I believe, yeah. if I remember correctly. Uh, Ving Rhames, podcast regular, oh, is in I this. love Ving Rhames. He plays Shad, uh, of course. If you've listened to our Piranha episodes, you'll know he was in Pulp Fiction, the Mission Impossible franchise, Bringing Out the Dead, Jacob's Ladder, Piranha 3D and 3DD, and more. Um, he's in this. One of, uh, one, one of the uh, not-so-fine <laughs> What do you think? I, I thought... I, he's his... got some shaky moments. I thought that his character was the funniest. Yeah. Um, I think he probably got the best dialogue of the film. Yeah. And I like Ving Rhames, and I maybe I'm a little biased, because I, I genuinely really like him as an actor, so maybe I'm a little biased. But I didn't think he did a terrible job. He's not the worst. No. Um, that would be... Someone who could fall into that category, though, of... Also not being the worst, but also not being great, is uh, Robert Patrick okay. as Daryl Grant. Yes, yes. Uh, of course, the star of Terminator 2, The Faculty, Fire in the Sky, The Marine, Peacemaker, From Dusk Till Dawn 2, and the TV series, starring alongside Demi Moore and Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. Uh, nice. And previously in podcast film Double Dragon, and more. Of course. Uh, I... Yeah, I think it. I don't know if it's him preferring a bad performance, but it's just weird seeing Robert Patrick in this film as this type of character, which is so ridiculously different to everything we've seen him play before. Um, but I, I don't know. It's, it's again, it's a little shaky at times. He kind of acts like he's in a kids' TV show. It's it's really cartoony at points. His performance, it's so over the top. I feel like Gary Oldman wasn't available well, yeah. or didn't want to do it. Yeah. It feels like a role that Gary Oldman probably should have played. Yeah. And finally, uh, in a role that was turned down by Michael Caine, Gene Hackman and Donald Sutherland. Michael Caine turned it down. After doing Jaws the Revenge. He doesn't turn down much. It is Burt Reynolds 
as Congressman David Dilbeck. He was, of course, in Boogie Nights. Smoking one year later, an Oscar-nominated. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> in, a, in a role that he um, has gone on to denounce. Yeah. For some reason. Smokey and the Bandit, Deliverance, The Player, The Golden Girls, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, Modern Love. The list goes on. Uh, and he was not originally sought by the production for this role. He wanted the part so badly to the point he contacted Castle Rock Entertainment studio head Rob Rayner uh, personally and went to Miami to audition. He took a pay cut considerably lower than to what he had received during the heyday of his career. And he based his character performance on real-life politicians he had known from his early years through his police chief father in Florida. So please answer me this. For a man that's put so much effort into getting this role and researching for this role, why the fuck is he so bad? Because (laughs) Burt Reynolds is one of those actors that has gotten by despite not actually being a great actor. Um, I'm looking at you, Chris Pratt. Um, (laughs) Kind of... Has kind of been able to succeed by being in films that everybody loves rather than being a sort of prestigious actor. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like... And I, I don't really, I and mean, it generally happens to men more than women. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's people like, I mean, Arnold. Yeah. He's not the best actor, like Sylvester Stallone, um, Vin Diesel, mm-hmm. kind of being in, in super popular films. Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves. And being super popular. And yeah. This is no d- disservice to the men. I mean,. Uh, you know, making it in Hollywood, it is not all about the acting ability, mm-hmm. you know, and he's gotten by on his charm and he's been in some really successful films and been able to carry on a career because yeah. of that. And again, like I said, it, this doesn't happen to women. It only really happens mm-hmm. to men, let's be honest. And, uh, yeah, it's... Yeah. He, um... Because I've never... The films that I've watched with him in, mm-hmm. I've never at the end, and I've seen Boogie Nights, and he was very good in that, but I've never at the end of thought, do you know what? Burt Reynolds was a fucking standout in that film. You know, well done to him. It's never happened. Yeah. It's just weird for me seeing him without a moustache in this. I'm swearing <laughs> yeah. he always has a moustache in every He does, he does. But yes, we have more to say about him. Coming up, let's talk about our feature presentation. I have got a couple more. Oh? I have. Okay. My apologies. I have a couple more. Rena Raphael. Now, she was uh, in Showgirls. Mm-hmm. Showgirls 2, Pennies from Heaven, which okay. she wrote and directed. And in Mulholland Drive. And I think she's uh, typecast as a yeah. Dixie Blonde. She's the, um, the dancer with the Bob Blonde mm-hmm. haircut. Yeah. Can't understand the rules of card games. Yeah. Um, also, Pandora Peaks. Okay. Who was a real life dancer and uh, a kind of a, I think of a bit of a muse for Russ Myers. In, um, and she starred in Russ Myers' uh, Return of the Ultra Vixens. Mm-hmm. So, sort of towards the end of his sort of uh, career and, yeah. and his life, really. 
Um, she is obviously most known for her giant breasts. Yeah. Really, and you know, and that's that's what Russ Myers was very famous for, and, and sort of centered her in in a couple of his films. Yes. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Let's talk about our feature presentation. This summer, the games in Atlanta have a few new contestants. Erin Grant, gymnastics. Chad the bouncer. Shot put. Congressman David Durbin. 100 meter dash. And what event would be complete without cream corn wrestling? On June 28th, let the games begin. Yes! Strip teams. Rated R. At theaters, June 28th. Yeah, so we have former FBI secretary Erin Grant, and she loses custody of her young daughter Angela to her ex-husband Daryl, a criminal who cost Erin her job. Because of his criminality, she lost her job mm-hmm. with the FBI, you know. And uh, the film starts with a very condescending judge referring to Erin as little lady. Well, it starts with a shot. It, let's, let's face it, it starts with a shot of a man lying face first on a boat in Speedos. That's how it actually starts. Does I miss that? <laughs> yeah, literally the oh my first... Oh I'm looking away. The first shot of the film is a man on a boat in Speedos. Who? <laughs> just a random guy. <laughs> it literally just goes up from him and then we go into Florida. How did I miss that? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, the courtroom. Well, then we go to the courtroom <laughs> in Florida. And, uh, yeah, the judge has uh, been very condescending to Erin, calls her little lady, tells her, oh, well, you can visit on the weekends on Christmas Eve and Easter, where you can both dress up in cute little bunny outfits. Um, the judge acknowledges that her ex-husband has issues, but they're nothing compared to a mother without a job. Mm-hmm. So this is obviously very interesting. This is very much the... Uh, main message of the film and it's really refreshing Mm -hmm. because it wasn't what I was expecting no so the idea of the ex-husband who is a known criminal being a better parent than Erin just because she hasn't got a job yeah is you know really interesting as a theme for Mm -hmm. the film and it's the reason she um, has to go and become a dancer at the Eager Beaver, a strip club in Miami. I know, how stupid. Um, and, and then, of course, it's satire. Like it's yeah. the, the strip club's called Eager Beaver. Mm-hmm. Of course it's a satire. But she, she uh, starts as a dancer there to be able to afford to appeal to get her daughter back. And the, the strip club is full of the usual lecherous, yuppie types in suits, uh, fresh from their yuppie jobs, obnoxious twats with yeah. money to burn. You know, and the um, Pandora Peaks, she performs mm-hmm. on stage. And then we go behind the scenes and... Uh, she she's um she's not too fond of the toll that her song choices are taking on her breasts. No. And one of the other dancers says, Girl, those babies are going to wind up in traction if you don't play any ballads. 
Yeah, the soundtrack immediately we get. Give me some loving by the Spencer Davis group. Yes. Um, get out of my dreams and into my car by Billy Ocean. A great soundtrack. It is a great soundtrack. Apart the the pussy 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 song. I'm not, well, apart from that, yeah. I won't be listening to that <laughs> any time. Some of the first dialogue we get at the Eager Beaver, someone going in is like Poontang. The night is young and full of promise, my boy. <laughs> Um, Erin isn't a fan of how cold the dressing room is, and uh, she says they could store meat in here. In fact, they do store meat in here, <laughs> which is interesting. You know, yeah. it, it, it's interesting dialogue, and it doesn't. You know, it it, it kind of, it, it is one of those films that just kind of throws it out there, and you're like, oh, you know, and you're like, mm-hmm. that's intriguing. Throws it out there, um, but it kind of because the plot goes wild in the aisles by the end, it kind of loses it a little bit. Yeah. But these snippets are really interesting. They are. And uh, also, what's interesting to me is how Demi Moore in this film, as Erin, looks exactly and sounds exactly like Carl Richards. Exactly like Carl Richards. <laughs> it could have been her and I wouldn't have known the difference. Would This would be before... This would have been when Carl Richards had her old nose. So yeah. she, Carl Richards wouldn't have looked like this back then. Uh, sorry. That was a little... <laughs> a little bit tea for you there. Um, yeah, she has a conversation with... Uh, is it Angela? Uh, no, Angela's a kid, isn't it? But one of the other dance... Oh, Sabrina, excuse me. And uh, Sabrina says, you know, this is honest work. Yeah. And Erin um, says, I know that. And you know that, but the judge doesn't know Mm -hmm. that. So the judge has turned around and said, well, nothing's worse for a kid than a mother without a job, essentially. Mm. And Erin now has a job, but it's not the right kind of job. Yeah. And again, you know, really interesting look at it. This film, and it surprised the hell out of me, this film does not shame sex work. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's pro-sex work. It's, you know, it, it looks at it in terms of it being a job. And the idea that not we don't all love our jobs. Mm-hmm. And being a, you know, dancer in a strip club, you know, she doesn't have to love it. No. Now, that's not to shame the work, but she doesn't have to love the work. Mm-hmm. But it, it is honest work. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting because it's not what I was expecting. I was expecting jokes, all the jokes, to be at the expense. You know, something like Eager Beaver. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. It's, it's a, you know, it's a satire mm-hmm. on that sort of thing. But it's not, the joke is never at the expense no. of the women dancing in the strip club. It never is. No. And that's so refreshing, particularly for 1996. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's another reason why people found such a big issue with it. I genuinely think that's it, because it doesn't shame the women. And I think that's why. And it, it, it's interesting that it's written and directed by, by men. Mm-hmm. Now, looking at the filmography, you know, you direct a film like, you know, um, what was it called? It's a big business. Um, you know, you big direct, trouble. Big trouble. Excuse me. You direct films like that. I'd I'd hope that you, you know you have a respect for women. Yeah. And maybe that's where this comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, Erin asks Shad, played by Ving Rhames, 
uh, how do I look? To which he replies, better than me, and that ain't easy. He has a monkey on his shoulder. He does, for some reason. Because Showgirls was released a year before this. <laughs> That's why. Apparently, behind the scenes, uh, at a topless bar, you have to have a monkey. Yeah. Apparently. <laughs> yeah, he offers to beat up Daryl, but Erin thinks that it'll look bad in court. Mm-hmm. She goes on stage and gives us an incredible performance to Money Can't Buy It by Annie Lennox. Now, this is a recurring theme. Yes. Yeah. She has some obsession with Annie Lennox. It's never explained why. I mean, no. you don't need an excuse to have an obsession with Annie Lennox, but she only dances to Annie Lennox. And one artist formerly known as Prince. Oh, yes. But exclusively, <laughs> apart from that one performance, it's exclusively Annie Lennox songs. Mm-hmm. Um, she's dressed in a suit and tie. She, she looks like a Rat Pack member. And she, I, I think I have to say, and I'm, I'm gonna. She's say, giving Annie Lennox in that suit. She is, uh, yeah. She's giving, um, what's it called? Um, oh my god, I'm losing my words today. Androgyny. Yeah, androgyny. That's the word I was looking for. Um, and you know, Demi Moore. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely stunning. Yeah. Gorgeous woman. Yeah. And. She is in fantastic shape. She she did yoga. She really prepared for the mm-hmm. role, and 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 I think that's commendable. Yeah. I, d- I don't. You know, I I'm not. I'm not here to say oh well she shouldn't have to feel the need to exercise and get into shape for the role. I mean if that's how she wants to look, yeah. you know, and she looks absolutely stunning mm-hmm. throughout the whole film. She serves looks on stage. Yeah. And I'm here for it. I'm definitely yeah, here for it. Serving cunt. She is. Uh, Congressman David Dilbeck is in the audience. Now, I did think he was blind. I I did <laughs> think there was a weird, like, stupid joke mm-hmm. about a blind man going to a strip club. But it's not true. It's Congressman David Dilbeck, played by Burt Reynolds, and he's trying to hide the fact that it's him. Which yeah. is why he's wearing sunglasses indoors. And he's absolutely losing his mind in the corner. And he's infatuated straight away with Erin watching her dance. Yeah. He, uh, he says, an angel appeared. An angel of pure delight. <laughs> what was that? It's Burt Reynolds. <laughs> it's Burt Reynolds. Uh... <laughs> and it's apparent from that first bit of line delivery... That he is having ham and his sandwiches. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, a bachelor who's getting married to Melissa at the weekend. <laughs> we know this because he tells Erin about it. He grabs Erin and won't let go. So Burt Reynolds hits him over the head with a champagne bottle. <laughs> the guy uh, who runs the Eager Beaver, he's complaining to the girls backstage because the flesh farm... Is doing better than them. The girls think it's because they serve buffalo wings and their girls are hookers, but he thinks it's because they dance fast, which makes them sweat and makes the customers drink more. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so when uh, when uh, this bachelor is telling Erin about Melissa, she says, "Do you love Melissa?" He says, "Very much." And she says, "Then go home to her." <laughs> Um, after he's whacked by the bottle, Erin 
does feel the need to check up on him, referring to him as poor man, despite his inappropriate behaviour, mm-hmm. which has caused this situation. And it happens throughout the film where Erin is grabbed by members of the audience. Yeah. And it's it's not a flattering look at, a, you know, strip clubs. Mm-hmm. It, it's not. It's not saying the women love it and everyone has a great time. It, there is a seediness to it. Mm-hmm. But the seediness isn't from the women who are, you know, performing on stage. It's from the men in the audience yeah. who don't know how to act appropriately. Mm-hmm. And it happens a few... This is the first time that she's grabbed. And it, it's kind of the catalyst of the story. Is the, If the guy had kept his hands to himself, none of this would have happened. We then get a performance from Miss Sabrina Hepburn. And uh, she's dressed like a cat from the musical Cat. Yeah, not exactly like she's exactly. from Cats. And she performs to Pussy Pussy Pussy, Whose Kitty Cat Are You? by the Light Crust Doughboys. And yeah, it's it's the performance, fabulous. And we only get a brief moment of it. The song, not so great. I will give them that. The Razzies, I will give you that. <laughs> uh, Daryl uses his daughter to steal a wheelchair from a hospital. <laughs> Um, he's dressed as a doctor and they just literally just walk in. Yeah. She sits on a wheelchair and he's a wheelchair salesman. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he starts wheeling her out and one of the nurses, oh, it breaks my heart to see, see children in distress. <laughs> and he just, he throws her out the wheelchair and puts it in the back of the van. And that's it. It's such a random plot point. So <laughs> It's so, it's like, uh, the illegality of his character is, you know, from actually quite a funny moment. I know it's not cool to steal, and especially from hospitals. It's it's fine. It's in a film called Strip. But it's it's kind of funny. (laughs) Well, I feel like I have to defend myself. Someone's going to come after me on Twitter. Why, it's not funny stealing from hospitals. Well, I mean, you can say it's original writing. I don't think anyone else has done this. Yeah, there's many films that are original <laughs> that still have no right to. Uh, again, I think um, at, at this point, Robert Patrick is stealing from uh, Burt Reynolds' lunchbox with his ham sandwiches. It's but... like two dogs fighting over a gammon steak. Yeah. Erin <laughs> um, goes to oh, see... Have you... Oh, have we mentioned... No, we haven't, actually. Uh, Angie... Is played by uh, Demi Moore's real daughter, Rumor yeah, Willis. Yeah, Rumor Willis. Yes, it doesn't. I, I, I get them confused because I swear one of them had a song. One Maybe. of them have a song out. If this is going to be a, I heard a rumor joke. I swear to God. No, why? No, I thought you were going to. No, no. I thought one of them had a song. One of them was a bit of a kind of. Um, it girl in the early two thousands. Okay. I feel like um, I think she hung around with Avril Lavigne and oh. Kelly Osbourne. I think she was um, maybe not. I don't <laughs> what know what gang that was. And, uh, <laughs> um, Erin goes to see Daryl's sister and brother in law to find his new whereabouts. And the joke here, and it's an old joke, and it's a silly joke, and it's a stupid one. It's kind of even by nineteen ninety six. It's a bit like oh okay. The idea that they're sort of backwards, yeah. Um, 
I suppose you would say hillbillies. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. is the term. And then kind of a lot of their humor is based around that. It's it's a bit tired by nineteen ninety six. Um, his brother in law is some sort of police officer. And he tries it on with Erin, moving close to her and asking if she does private parties. Mm-hmm. And I think this is this is uh, intriguing because it's clear that Erin's new line of work suddenly gives him carte blanche to act as inappropriate as he wishes. And the belief is that Erin would likely reciprocate because yeah. she's a dancer in a strip club. Yeah. And I think that is that's interesting because I'm assuming that he would he's not acted like that because he keeps bringing up the dancing mm-hmm. and he wouldn't act like that if she wasn't a dancer in a strip club. No. Um she, I she steals some mail which I'm assuming means that she's found Daryl's new address. Nope, his phone number. Oh, it's his phone number? Yeah, it's phone bill. So she goes to a house that's kind of derelict. Yeah, I don't know where this house is. This I is... thought she found an address. No, 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 because it shows you in the car and she's got the uh, phone number on the phone bill uh, when she tries calling him, but it gets no answer. And then she goes to this house and it's really strange because I thought it was going to come back. I thought it was maybe like the family house and mm. they like, you know, go to shit or whatever. But she, yeah, she goes to this abandoned house. Um, there's like a bunch of dolls in there. Uh, she has a flashback to Angie running. And then we transition from that to her being sad uh, and moody on stage, dancing to Cold by Annie Lennox. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, this house never comes back again. No, but the dolls do. Do they? Yes. Later on, um, she asks about the dolls. And uh, he said, oh, uh, we lost them. We left them. Oh, but okay. In this house, they're torn up. Yeah. Like, the heads have been pulled yeah. off. So that's when it comes back. Um, but she does a, a performance with a chair. Mm-hmm. She does. A chair performance to uh, Cole by Annie Lennox. It's very emotional. Someone grabs a leg. <laughs> nice leg, honey. Maybe I'll take it home. It's like, I recommend you let go. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, she can't perform without someone grabbing at her. Uh-huh. She can't even, you know, sit there with her sister-in-law without being grabbed. You know, and um, it, it is a bit interpretive dance. Yes. It is a little bit. It's very emotional. And the manager says, uh, what's with Princess Die tonight? <laughs> <laughs> but the weirdo thinks that he can grab her because mm-hmm. he has $500. I yeah. have $500. <clears throat> That's yeah. his defence. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I I have this money. Why am I not allowed to touch? Yeah. You know, if you want the $500, give me your leg. Mm-hmm. Uh, backstage, Erin gets a letter from a, a regular called Jerry, who tells her that he can ca- help her get her daughter back for nothing in return. But if she could do some dancing to Kenny G's Christmas music, he'd be very <laughs> grateful. <laughs> And as always, Erin sees the best in people, even a strange man like Jerry. Yeah. And she kind of feels sorry for Mm -hmm. him, even though the other women are sort of like, no, he's strange. Like, this isn't appropriate behaviour. She sees the best in Mm -hmm. him. 
Um, and I think it's it's a nice sort of characteristic because obviously Erin is the heart of the film. She's the one we're with. Yeah. You know, she is the one we want to see succeed. And it's nice to see. Maybe it's a little naive. Yeah. Really. Oh, yeah. But that's not necessarily a bad character trait mm-hmm. in, in, in a film like this. Yeah. Uh, Shad's doing some sort of weird experiment with a yogurt. Well, what he's doing is putting a cockroach inside his yogurt in an attempt to sue the producers <laughs> of the yogurt for feeding him a cockroach. Yeah, and he says, call me a dreamer. I don't want to be a bouncer forever. No. Well, he wants to get his money from a lawsuit because there's a cockroach in his yogurt. And he said that his lawyer uh, says this it's a done deal. He's going to get loads of money for it. To which Aaron replies, your lawyer's office is above a video store. <laughs> um, after this shift, the manager tries to convince the girls to wrestle topless and creamed <laughs> corn. Um, he, he especially wants Erin to uh, wrestle in creamed corn. Yeah. Because uh, he says, you're getting a big following here, Erin. Even with that shit music you play. <laughs> How Poor Annie Lennox. dare you? Annie Lennox has given you half of her fucking back catalogue and this is how you repay yeah. her? He suggests that pasta wrestling um, could be a better substitute as long as it's not with meat or fish. And she informs him that if she wanted to wrestle she'd have joined the World Wrestling Federation. <laughs> yeah. and that she... ages the film terribly, <laughs> by the way. She gives him a talent off for his misogynistic napkins and coasters as well because they degrade the women and the beavers. Yes. Yeah, it's... um. There's also... One of the girls is called Ariel Sharon. And she is... um. I think she said Israeli. Mm-hmm. And a lot of... And this ages the film terribly. A lot of her jokes are based around her being Jewish. Yeah. So she says, oh, they made us uh, wrestle in falafel, um, falafel, mm. and uh, we all broke out in hives. And it, it is it is one of the, it's a joke that's repeated. And Ariel Sharon was not at the time, but afterwards, I don't know if it's it's a joke based on this, but the Prime Minister of Israel, yeah. uh, a man called Ariel Sharon, and he he was a politician at the time. Um, yeah, it's just, it's one of the, you know, repeated jokes that doesn't quite mm-hmm. work. And it it didn't work then. No. Um, Jerry is waiting by Erin's car with flowers and again promises to help her get her daughter back. Now, Jerry isn't conventionally attractive. Um, I don't think there's a love story happening no. here. But she does sort of kind of feel a connection and, and sort of a she feels sorry for him but mm-hmm. also is quite um grateful for him offering to help yeah you know he's not grabbing at her he he gives her flowers it, it is kind of strange but she again sees the best in people and he it turns out does really want to help yeah her get her daughter back um, he can't bring himself to call her Erin because he worships her so much. So it, it yeah. I mean, there are red flags there. Let's yeah. Say. <laughs> um, 
at uh, Shad's lawyer's office over the video store, a secretary eats his yogurt (laughs) and it's got Shad on top of it on a sticky note, including the cockroach, without ever noticing that she's eaten a cockroach. To great hilarity. Great commentary on people stealing food in offices. Oh. It's very, very realistic. I think it's the, the biggest theme in the film. It's about office <laughs> etiquette. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Dilbeck is in trouble because of his trip to Eager Beaver. Uh, he admits he just loves naked women and it's his character flaw. <laughs> And his assistant tells him that a man called Jerry recognised him and that he wants him to fix Aaron's court case and then he won't tell anyone about it. Yes. Um, it's six weeks before the election, so they cannot afford for this embarrassment to mm-hmm. get out there. Um, interestingly, Dilbeck is concerned that the judge in Aaron's case is a Democrat, so he might not be able to convince him. Yeah. And because Dilbeck is a Republican, obviously. <laughs> um, so it, it, the interesting part is that clearly the judge's treatment of Erin doesn't necessarily come from political allegiances, but it's probably from gender bias. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was, it, it's a little bit that I maybe you know, I have maybe been accused of reading too much into films in the past on this podcast, but that is how I interpreted that. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, it, it's the treatment of women knows mm-hmm. really no political allegiances. Oh, God. The political commentary in this is literally just as relevant today as it was back then. You know, there'll always be sleazy politicians. Um, who From both sides. Do, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I think that helps. Although there are elements that haven't aged very well, that helps the majority of the film feel relevant in modern day. Yeah. Uh, I like to say, you know, it, it, it just, might we say ahead of its time, perhaps? I think so, because I think a modern sensibility, we can now look at it in terms yeah. of, you know, we aren't judging the sex work. No. We're not judging that. And Thankfully, the film's not either. Mm-hmm. So now we can actually look at what the film is about. Yeah. And look at the plot and the story mm-hmm. and the acting. Because we're not preoccupied with breasts, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like they were back in the day. Um, Really interesting where this Jerry storyline's going with and, and his relationship with... Oh, wait, no, sorry. He's found dead immediately in the river. Yes, by uh, <laughs> Lieutenant El Garcia and his family. Uh, his son runs up to them and says, Dad, Dad, it's a floater. <laughs> so, yes. Which I'm assuming didn't mean poo. <laughs> <laughs> Back in 1996. Shad goes to the video store underneath his lawyer's place to rent free Willy, but it isn't available. And he says, "People are pigs. Sit on movie like they own movies like they own them." And I thought it was. I genuinely think Shad's the funniest character. I did, That's funny. I guess. I mean, I suppose this is the intentional comedy. I just I don't know. It just doesn't feel like the usual Ving Rhames performance. There's something just felt a bit off. 
But again, yeah. I think it's this weird, and it's very strange that this is a film. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's a film called Strictly, of course, it's directed towards adults, but some of the acting in it. <laughs> It was like something in a, a film aimed towards younger audiences. Okay. Like it's very over the top and cartoony. Yeah. Like, and I don't even know if I could say camp for some of it. Some of it is just straight up cartoony. Yeah, I, I do think a lot of uh, Shad's jokes are based on the fact that he's obviously a very large built yeah. man. And he's a bouncer in a strip club. But he's wanting to rent Free Willy. Yeah. Yeah, and getting angry with a power drill because of it. Because <laughs> for some reason he has a power drill in his hand. He does. Uh, Funny how popular Free Willy was back in uh, the 90s. Yeah, I know. I haven't seen that film for years. We should re-watch it. I don't, we? I don't think it will hold up to I re-watch. I adored Free Willy 2. Do you know what? Fun story. Free Willy 2, I think that's when I realised I was gay. Okay. Not, not because of the... Not because of the... the whale. It, oh, uh, which which free? <laughs> no, because of the actors in it. Is obviously, the, the human beings. Free Willy? It was the correct free Willy, and I remember there's one scene where the younger guy in it goes swimming, and you know he's in his swimming shorts and everything. I was like, I can feel something here. There's there's definitely something. I'm I'm, I'm attracted to this. Okay, lovely. And there we go. That's, that's my gay awakening. Free Willy 2, The Adventure Home. Okay, if Free Willy's not going to hold up for a rewatch, Free Willy 2 is definitely got not going to hold up. <laughs> Michael Madsen's in Free Willy 2. Uh, Virginia Madsen's in the first the, one. I think she? she's in the second one. Really? Yeah, Free Willy 2, The Adventure Home. What a film. Anyway. What's um... the guy's name? Oh, Jason James Rich. Oh, yeah. Yeah? I recognise him from something else. Okay. What do you no, reckon? I don't. He no? looks like he looks like so many actors. Right. Yeah. There we go. He looks like he should have been in a scream film. He does. Yeah. No, I thought he was the guy from uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil, but I do not think he is. It wasn't the Neverending Story though. Right. Okay. Yeah. So there we have it. First ever celebrity crush, Jason James Richter. Completely random. Anyway, where were back we? Back to striptease. Back to striptease. Free Willy, yeah. So Erin spends some time with Angie <laughs> at the beach. Uh, she tells her mum all about the uh, wheelchair scheme and uh, how she stays with Rita on Fridays. Yeah, and this is where the conversation about the dolls takes place. Oh, okay. And Erin yeah. realises that the destroyed dolls... Ah, hers. Yeah. Where, in whatever fucking house that was. I've no idea. Um, her ex-husband berates her for being a stripper, uh-huh. as he puts it, uh, despite him using his daughter to commit crimes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's the same thing again. Erin is nervous that if her ex is... Well, actually, it's not. Erin is actually nervous this time because if her ex is caught then their daughter would be taken into care. Because she hasn't been given visitation... uh, Not visitation. Because she's only been given visitation. Mm -hmm. And if they find out about her work, she's scared that rather than her daughter being given back to her, she would be taken into care if anything happened to Daryl. And I think that is valid. Yeah. I think that is a valid worry for her. And it kind of it does kind of explain why she doesn't just 
grass him up mm-hmm. <laughs> straight away. Um, so yeah, uh, Shad's lawyer is representing the bachelor who Dilbeck smacked with the bottle. And there's a photo of the incident. And uh, we find out that Dilbeck has powerful business connections who uh, want to ensure that he remains in office with the election in six weeks. So Shad's lawyer promises that they can profit off of this photo even more than the yogurt, the cockroach in the yogurt, which I assume wasn't going to work anyway. And uh, Shad gets him to promise that Erin won't be involved in any of it, despite being in the photo. Mm-hmm. Um, he also, and this happens a lot in the film, he also corrects his lawyer when he refers to Erin as a stripper rather than a dancer. Yeah. And I think that, for me, was really the main sex-positive note... Oh, definitely. ...from, yeah. from the film. And it made me rethink my how I've worded my notes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the idea this you know... Stripper is, I think, and the way it's used by people yeah. in this film, the term stripper is, you know, kind of used as an insult almost. Mm. And I, I know that's not true in, in all cases, but within the film, yeah, 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 yeah. it is used as almost a derogatory mm-hmm. term. Yeah. And that dancer is preferred. Um, so Dilbeck's powerful business connections are a huge theme in the novel. Um, and it deals with the corruption of government officials giving subsidies to sugar growers in Florida. Yeah. And it's a big, a big part of the novel is, and it's based on, in part, on real life events. Like the whole photograph is based on real life events. The subsidies go into you know, sugar growers. It, it is all sort of taken from fact and then obviously made into non-fiction novel. But it's a huge part. Mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of... It's so weird because it was not what I was expecting. No, absolutely not. When you look at the poster, when you see the titles... And the novel's called Striptease mm-hmm. as well. Um, When you see the um, title and the poster, it's, now we realise, satirical. The yeah. name Striptease is satirical mm-hmm. because it's actually not about stripteases. No. It's not about that. Um, which I, I thought was just... Uh, it quite. It's kind of clever in a way in its satire, mm-hmm. but it, it does sort of lend itself to people being disappointed yeah <laughs> with the end product uh back at the club dancer ariel sharon discusses how she would like steven spielberg to turn up and uh take her away so that they can share a shower yes she thinks he'd have big hots for her yes um she's reading a magazine that i'm assuming is covering steven spielberg's renovations of some <laughs> sort and can see a shower and she can picture herself there. Um, the actual Michael Jordan turns up yep. to see the show. And is that the real... It is. Real Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. Yep. He doesn't say anything. No. Um, but he's... We sort of pan past him in the crowd. Erin <laughs> tries to contact Jerry to no avail. 
and uh, the manager of the Eager Beaver speaks to Shad about how he hasn't had an erection since opening the place, except when he got the hots over porpoises at SeaWorld. And I didn't just make that up. I There is no gas leak here. Um, I haven't mistyped anything. That is the conversation. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah. That, I wonder if that was one of the scenes that got... No, I don't know if that was intended comedy or not. It's just fucking weird. It's a really weird line of dialogue. Completely pointless. I don't know why it's in there at all. It could have been cut. Because um, it's not funny. It's like, what's funny about... Like, where where are the jokes? Yeah. Um, Lieutenant Al Garcia tells Aaron all about Jerry... Uh, and he had bathtub, bathtub water in his lungs rather than the water from the lake. So he was drowned and then dumped there. And Erin reveals to us that she used to work as a secretary, a secretary for the FBI before her court case. Yeah, so he is uh, in some ways a little condescending to her. Mm-hmm. And uh, she scores him yeah. a little bit, actually. And she says, well, I do know what I'm talking about because I did work for the FBI. Mm-hmm. So put that in your pipe and smoke it, dickhead. Meanwhile, one of the dancers dances with a snake till you've really got a hold on me by the miracles. It's before Britney, way ahead of its time. It is. I Was it a thing? Snake. Because you watch uh, Pink Flamingos mm. and there's a topless dancer dancing with a snake mm-hmm. in Pink Flamingos. I just, I don't get... Uh, it's a great performance, and she's slaying the performance. But in terms of sexiness, is that something that some men like? Maybe. <laughs> Women with snakes? I mean, if it is a well-known thing before this, then it does a great parody on it later on in the film. But this, the, the snake performer, she's performing next door, isn't she? Yeah. Uh, the meat... The, the flesh something. Yeah. Um, so she's performing next door. Um, flesh factory. Flesh factory. And uh, Dilbeck talks with the owner of the sugar business about how wonderful it is that the workers get $30 an hour. Uh, not an hour. Excuse me. That would have been great. Uh, $30 a day. And how Erin is his angel, despite yeah. him not remembering where he saw her. Uh-huh. Um, he says he just wants a happy life with his wife and his mistress. Yes. It's, it's very, the political commentary is a big part of the film. It was a huge part of the novel, but it is on the nose. Very, yeah, it's there's no subtlety. subtle. So they drive past, you know, the, um, workers in the fields who are farming the sugar. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're like, oh, how much do they get? Oh, $30 a day. Yeah. Like, Isn't that great? The American dream, you know, this, that, and the other. And it is kind of a bit like, yeah, we get it. This mm-hmm. could do with a little more nuance to it because it's very on the nose. Yeah. Um, Erin does another dance. She did, Well, before that, she asks oh. Al to help her get Angie back because her ex is a criminal and stealing wheelchairs. And he says he'll see what he can do. So that sets up something a little later on. Mm. Uh, but yeah, she... Um, 
That's a dance to Little Bird by Annie Lennox. Yeah, she's doing this at home now. She's, she's practicing. She's um this this I have to say feels a little forced. Forced? Forced. Oh my god, I was absolutely living for this. Oh no, I'm living for it, but it feels a bit like they were like, we need a little more nudity from Demi. So we're going to have her performing at home in a towel. Do you, do you know what I mean? I mean, she, I thought this was high camp. It is high camp. No, no, no. I enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. But it does, it, to me, maybe a little cynical. I did think, well, why is she practicing her dance in a towel yeah. while she's getting dressed? Surely if she's performing a dance, she could just do that in a leotard. I thought she was having a nice time to Annie Lennox. She's having a great time. <laughs> but she says to... Because uh, Garcia turns up. Uh-huh. He knocks on the door and she acts like uh, no one's ever knocked on the door. <laughs> ever. Like, this is the first time she's anyone has ever knocked on her door. She's like, oh, oh, oh who is it? <laughs> <laughs> is that okay, love? She's like, I'm just practising my dance. And then she gets dressed... And uh, Garcia informs her that Judge, now the judge from the beginning, that Judge Fingerhut, <laughs> that was his name, he had a heart attack and a porno theatre and died, which means her custody hearing won't take place for another six months and for the uh, judge to be replaced. And it is, again, very on the nose, isn't it? He died of a heart attack at a porno theatre. Yeah. Whilst reprimanding her or potentially reprimanding her for dancing in a strip club mm-hmm. and also being about family values um erin thinks fuck this and just takes angela back yeah she literally just like let's go uh, and uh, shad's lawyer shows dilbeck the incriminating photo and uh dilbeck rec- doesn't give a shit actually because he's recognizes erin as his angel mm-hmm and then goes to spy on her at a house. And uh, he watches her take Angela back and realises that she's... Because he's got a whole history very quickly and uh, realises that she's taken Angela illegally, essentially. Yeah, and she says, you snatched me, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm not sure, I'm not like... And she's like, yeah, I did. Actually, yeah, yeah I did. She's like, oh, that's all right then. Snatched. Um, I'm not sure what they were going (laughs) with with that. Um, He's talking to whoever it is, his assistant or or whatever, and uh, he wants to possess this beautiful creature. And it's a word that comes up a lot, referring to the women as creatures. Mm -hmm. And uh, he gets his assistant to what I thought was steal a pair of her knickers. Which I thought was also the case. From the laundrette. What he actually steals is lint from the dryer. Oh. It's referred to later on as lint mm-hmm. from the dryer. So she's dried her clothes at the laundromat. Yeah. And he's gone in and stolen the lint. Mm-hmm. So all the bits of fluff that came <laughs> off her clothes. Um, I have to say, I really hope it was just her clothes in there. <laughs> And no one else's, because that would be really weird for what's reference later. Um, a debate occurs on a boat. I don't know what this boat comes from somewhere. And it turns out to be a huge part of the 
But a debate a occurs sugar. on a boat between two people that I don't I don't know who they are. What's it called? The Big Sugar. The Big Sugar, of course. Um, I'm assuming these two people are part of the sugar company. And uh, they discuss whether to kill Erin or simply keep her quiet by threatening to take away her daughter. And uh, before a speech in front of the Young Christians Society, Dilbeck is running late after becoming sidetracked by sniffing Erin's lint while smothered in Vaseline. And again, I, I, I didn't, there's no typo there. That's exactly what happened. And again, it, it's... It's a bizarre image is what it is. It's very bizarre because it is Burt Reynolds <laughs> with a cowboy hat, cowboy boots... <laughs> Uh, in his boxes and with some sort of like leather jacket on mm-hmm. uh, smothered in Vaseline yeah sniffing this big pink fluffy ball <laughs> and uh, then going out and again very on the nose going out and uh, talking about family values in front of a bunch of mm-hmm. young Christians yeah New strippers introduced at the Eager Beaver. Yes. Lorelei. This is the snake. Snake queen. Snake queen. Uh, Shad <laughs> is delivering her snake, uh, but it's died and is told he's told to go and get a new one. Well, it's been killed by the owners of the um, strip club next yeah. door. So they've poached her and brought her over. And they, in retaliation, they've killed the snake. Yeah. So Shad has to go out and get another snake. It's it's another. It, it's funny. It is funny and leads to a funny moment, <laughs> but it is a bit of guff that could have been cut out. Yeah. You know, Erin dances to uh, "Little Bird" by Annie Lennox. In, She's in done a person now. In. She does it properly now. Now at this point, um, we uh, had to pause the film and oh, should we see how long we are into it? I was very surprised. Now, I like this film. Fuck me. We were only an hour into it at this point. We had 50 minutes left. Yeah. And I don't know. It kind of felt like it went on for so much longer. I do feel like there's a lot of things that could have been cut out here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It it doesn't warrant an hour and 52 minutes. No. A lot of it could have been cut and kind of smoothed out, yeah. I feel. Because we were, we were kind of like, it, it did feel like hours we'd been watching the film. And we, you know, when we're watching a film, we do pause mm-hmm. and we try and gather our thoughts and our notes together. But I didn't think we'd done it that much. Um, so generally, it just, it felt like a very long film. Yeah. <laughs> it did. Uh, Daryl is waiting for Erin in her car and holds a knife to her, telling her to give Angie back. But Shad shows up and says, put the knife down, to which Daryl says, suck my dick. And Shad says, whip the little fella out. Yeah. Shad breaks his arm and Erin manages to get away. Yeah. Um, Daryl's then arrested. Is he arrested? He's arrested. He is arrested. Yeah. And uh, Garcia turns up and they establish that Dilbeck is definitely the congressman who attacked The Bachelor, which I thought we'd already established anyway. No, because he shows her pictures this time and she seemingly didn't know who he was. So they realise that Erin could potentially be in danger Mm -hmm. now because she is in the photo. 
returning home, Erin finds a letter inviting her to dance privately for Dilbeck for $2,000. Uh, she then has a little heart-to-heart -heart with Angela before bed. So this is, this is an interesting moment because Angela asks her if she enjoys dancing. Mm -hmm. And Erin tells her that she doesn't. Now, earlier in the night, Angela had um, witnessed Erin dancing on stage. Yeah. Uh, she'd been backstage and she'd sort of gone and, and saw her. And she's telling her how pretty she looked and how she beautiful she looked. Demi, girl, what a slay. Demi, girl, what a slay. But Erin said, no, I don't enjoy dancing. It's not what I want to do. It's, it's not who I am, but I do it for money. You know, and it's... I thought that was quite refreshing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, she doesn't have to enjoy it. No. This it it's a means to an end. Mm -hmm. Now there are many many women who do enjoy it, who do enjoy sex work, yeah. who do enjoy it. That's what they live to do. Mm -hmm. That's not discrediting that. It's Erin saying, you know, because we've all had jobs that we've never liked, that we've had to pay the bills. And this is, this is just not who I am. I want to be someone else. I want another, jo you know, a job. I loved my job in the, the FBI's, you know, and such. And it's interesting because the child in this film is way more respectful of sex work than the majority of the men in this film. Yeah. Like, and it, it's... It isn't really, and I th I think maybe people could interpret it as a, a film where every man is a piece of shit, but it's not. It's not because we have the Ving Graham's character. Yeah, and but ev you know so many of the men are negative. Yeah, portrayals of men mm -hmm. that I think people could latch on to that, mm -hmm. and it's another criticism that I don't necessarily agree with. No, but it, it is realistic. It it is it is really it is. Erin uh, and Garcia discuss the situation at SeaWorld, <laughs> and uh, she agrees to dance for the two thousand dollars because she does need the money, uh, especially now Angela is living with her, and feeding dolphins at SeaWorld. Yeah. Again, a little bit of guff that could have been cut. Uh, on the boat that evening, Erin does her dance. Surprisingly, to the artist, artist formerly known as Prince. Yeah. And she says to, she says to Dilbeck, she says, uh, he had some sort of song lined up. Said, well, I'll dance. Do you know uh, the artist formerly known as Prince? <laughs> yes, he introduced him. He's so nervous to the point he introduces himself as Congressman Dildo. I'm Congressman Dildo. Uh, Shad has joined her to, for her protection. And uh, he's telling Dilbeck's own protection, his sort of uh, henchman, that uh, he auditions all the girls. Even Meryl Streep, when she was <laughs> when she was called Chesty La France. <laughs> you can't make this shit up, can you? Erin <laughs> um, and Dilbeck discuss her case as she dances, but Dilbeck confesses that uh, he made love to the lint from her dryer. And she, I said that right, and she threatens to kill him if he invades her privacy again. Yes. Before leaving. So he did make love to the big piece of fluff. He did. From the dryer. So I 
really hope that was all just her clothes. He also... Um, Although it's a weird either way. He makes her aware that he knows about the case and whatnot, which kind of makes her question it, and I think that's the first little hint she gets that he actually murdered Jerry. Yes, of course, yeah. Um, and he also says, just a touch of your hand sets my pecker on fire. <laughs> the cream for that. Uh, he asks her to return the next day for $5,000. And uh, she asks if they can discuss her case even more. And he says, we can talk about whatever you want as long as you're naked. Lovely. Um, on the way off the boat, Dilbeck's right-hand man... Uh, what's his Malcolm. name? Malcolm. Malcolm blackmails Erin before she leaves as they know that her custody of Angela is illegal. Um, she then gives Garcia no new information as a result of this blackmail. Um, yeah, when Malcolm refers to himself as uh, Dilbeck's right-hand man, <laughs> what does she say? She says something like, oh, you must be very busy. <laughs> you must be exhausted. Back at the Yiga Beaver, Lorelei is uh, being strangled by the new snake. <laughs> It's not her Monty. No. Which I, I, it took me a little while to realize Monty Python. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's not her Monty. And this one is angry yeah. and uh, tries to, tries to suffocate her on stage. Um, someone who is dead though is Shad's lawyer. Yeah. Um, a weird, weird scene where Shad's taken to the, um, mortuary, mm -hmm. wherever it is. And, uh, Shad's, you know, disgusted by a dead body. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm gonna throw up. Oh, I'm gonna throw up. It, it again. It could have been cut. Yeah. Um. Daryl steals a gun from Rita, and when Erin goes to dance, uh, dance for Dilbeck again, um, uh, she refuses to let Shad go with her, and Daryl follows her. Yeah. Yeah. She's uh, Erin's concocted some sort of plan. To bring uh, Congressman Dilbeck to justice. And she stays up all night with the yellow pages. And you hear tidbits of what she's saying. But you don't really know what the plan is. She goes to the boat alone. Uh, to dance for him without Shad. Um, in the limousine. The driver apologises for watching Erin in the mirror. Um, which reveals that he can actually speak English. Which I, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I mean, that's a bit offensive, insinuating that he doesn't know English. I think it was I a little strange. I didn't really get that. She said, oh, so you know English. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Well, when was it insinuating he didn't know English? And uh, she asks him what he thinks of his employers, to which he replies, they're filth who exploit the poor. And she says, I think you and I are going to get along fine again. Like... <laughs> The nose is bleeding now. There is blood spurting. Um, after overdosing on pain medicine, Daryl follows Erin onto the boat and attacks Dil um, Malcolm. Attacks Malcolm as Erin dances to "Sweet Dreams Are Made of, of This" for by the Eurythmics, yes. whose lead singer is Annie Lennox. Erin <laughs> uh, is serving in. She is. I thought was inspired by Bjork's swan dress at the Oscars. <laughs> she's got like a feather boa. She's got like a feather skirt. She's got knee high chunky pink boots. <laughs> I think she looks great. 
Um, Daryl interrupts, and he's... It's not funny, and the performance isn't great. I'm sorry, ladies. <laughs> performance isn't great. He's... Because he's some sort of hillbilly, he hasn't had proper medical, you know, uh, attendance to his broken arm. So he's got a golf club instead. So that's what he smacked Malcolm with. Um, he interrupts him and uh, Daryl and Dilbeck start to get on because they're both <laughs> hamming it up. <laughs> <laughs> You're he's, having it up too. He, thinks, too. Uh, he seems to think that he's uh, from The Price is Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hilarious. Erin uh, pulls out a gun, though, and forces Daryl and Dilbeck into the limousine where she tries to get Daryl to write out a note giving her full custody. Now, I'm no expert... But I'm not sure a random note would <laughs> hold up in court. No. I'm not sure it's just this random note saying, I give my kid to this one, you know? So the this final sequence, um, it's originally... Uh, it was reshot mm. after being shown to a preview audience because originally it took place in a sugarcane field. Um, preview audiences were really uncomfortable with this, so it was rewritten and reshot in the Sugar Shack... Uh, and funny enough, we still see the final shots of that original sequence um, being with a character being taken away with handcuffs in the final scene. Oh, yeah. Instead of them actually just you know, filming a new ending. Oh. Why would they be uncomfortable? Am I being ignorant to something? Or was it just... I mean, did something happen around that time? Um, I'm Involving... Not... I'm not sure. You know, it, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm just, I'm just wondering why that would, uh, uh, yeah, maybe it's something to look at. Um, Garcia brings everyone along to the boat for some reason, including Angela. Um, I don't know why, if this is potentially going to be a crime scene. Uh, he brings her along to the boat to find her um, after... Erin leaves a lipstick message on the boat, on the mirror, doesn't she? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's either an indication of where she's going or she's just left Drag Race. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> oh, yeah. So so they go to the boat. It's just, oh, it's just really drawn out, this ending. No wonder I'm getting mixed up. They they go to the boat, including a child. To what and, is two, and two of the dancers. Two of the dancers. To what is potentially a crime scene. And uh, Lipstick Message literally just saying wh whatever the, the sugar factory is. Uh -huh. And uh, then they race on over to there. Um, whilst there, Erin strings Dilbeck along and tricks him into confessing on tape as uh, he proposes marriage to her as they're doing a little dance. She says, uh, take me like a man. A congressman. <laughs> now this was reshot as well, wasn't it? Yeah. So during test screenings, audiences objected uh, to a scene at the end where Dilbeck becomes violent and attempts to rape Erin, mm. holding a knife to her throat. Uh, the scene was reshot five months later. I'm assuming this is the wig. Yeah. Uh, to make it funnier. <laughs> okay. Funny, uh, is that insinuating that the original was wrong, meant to be yeah, funny? Wrong choice of words. 
uh, causing a one-month delay in the release. But test screenings also turned up less than favourable reactions to the new ending, <laughs> which I completely agree with. I think it's just, it goes, it goes wild yeah. too much. Um, she's stopped by Malcolm and the two henchmen uh, who are there to kill them both. So they're like, fuck this shit. We're just going to kill Dilbeck and Erin and that's fine. Someone, another Republican congressman that we can mm-hmm. bribe can take the place. Shad and Garcia turn up to stop them and then Daryl tries to get a coffee because he's all on medication but ends up dropping a giant amount of sugar on top of the gunman thus saving the day. Yeah, again... I am not a fan of that. No, again, it's really... I mean, the fact that he's saving the day is problematic but also the... The whole idea of him, oh, I'm going to drop some sugar on these people by accident. Oh, again, it's really childish. It doesn't doesn't feel like it fits. And the soundtrack kind of, as well, kind of makes it even more childish. It's so strange. It's like something from, like a cartoon. Yeah. Like Tom and, you know, like Tom and Jerry or something stupid like Mm -hmm. that. Like, oh, is this thing working? And he presses a button, this giant amount of sugar. Mm. It does annoy me. It, it annoys me a lot because essentially Erin has to be saved. Yeah. And there is kind of this damsel in distress moment at the end when she kind of hadn't been for the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. And it, it did it did annoy me that it is Daryl who saves the day. Yeah. Through sheer look and cartoonish ness, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the press turn up for Dilbeck's conference, which is what Erin had been up all night setting up. Which I'm a little confused by because why? Why did that take all night? Why did she stay up all night? <laughs> she said it's just she didn't like make five phone calls, uh, <laughs> and uh, Dilbeck's arrested. In his uh, underwear. He's got no trousers on, has he? And then uh, Erin leaves. So this is the end. So this is in the um, sugar cane field. And Erin leaves in the limo uh, with the two dancers and Angela and with Shad and the driver. Oh, the driver got knocked out, didn't he? Uh Um, They leave... And she promises Shad that she'll never go off without him again. Yes. And what I did appreciate is because this moment between Erin and Shad, it isn't necessarily a romantic moment. There's no, no forced romance no. within this. I did, uh, I, I kept having to remind myself that obviously Lieutenant Garcia it, it was shown to be happily married. Mm hmm. So there was going to be no romance there no. between them. And I thought it was refreshing that yes. there wasn't a forced romance. Yeah, definitely. At the end of the film. It didn't end with a kiss. It ended up with her mm-hmm. going to start a new life somewhere else, free of the constraints of her shit ex-husband. Yeah. But that also makes the, the reshot ending of him essentially saving the day mm-hmm. shit. Yeah. Really. We get Missionary Man by Eurythmics over the end credits. Of course we do. Um. So, yeah, final thoughts. This isn't a masterpiece by any no. means. And 
for me, the majority of the jokes don't land. It's also far too long. There is a lot of guff that could have been cut. But I actually think the themes are really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and I appreciate that the dancing is never the joke. The jokes don't always land, but the dancing is never the joke. No. Which was really refreshing. I thought Ving Rhames, I, th I thought he had some really funny lines. I enjoyed his character. I enjoyed Demi Moore's performance. And I thought Erin was a really likeable lead. And uh, it does, for me, suffer from... I, I actually thought the dancing set pieces were great as well. Yeah, I wish we'd had more of that. Yeah. I wish we would have had more of the backstage. I wish we would have seen more of the dancers. And them kind of be the heart of the film. What I would have liked, you know, um, and this is maybe a spoiler alert for Sister Act, but you know at the end of Sister Act mm -hmm. where all the nuns get together yeah. and they save the day. Uh -huh. I would have liked to have yeah, seen definitely. that. Yeah. That sort of, because they have a camaraderie. Whereas in a film like Showgirls, there's a lot of backstabbing and a lot of bitchiness, mm -hmm. which is highly entertaining but in striptease they all get on so well they it's do. like a yeah. family mm -hmm. and i'd like to have seen those elements more yeah. and i do think the film suffers from not knowing sort of 100 what it wanted to be mm -hmm. um i wish it had chosen a clearer direction you know if you're gonna be you know a comedy and a satire just choose one thing to, yeah. to be satirical mm -hmm. about and then you can fully deal with it yeah um, if you want to be a thriller, be a thriller. Because I actually think... Now, hear me out. Imagine if this was filmed in the 80s mm -hmm. as a straight-up political thriller mm -hmm. by Brian De Palma. Oh, yeah. I reckon that would have been amazing. Yeah, yeah definitely. That really, I reckon that would have been so mm -hmm. good. And I would have chosen off the back of uh, Body Double. Yeah, uh, Melanie Griffith. Yeah, role. yeah. I mean, I'm glad to meet more. Can we it. make that I, now? I think oh, I love it. Yeah, definitely one of the highlights of the film. Yeah, yeah for, for sure. But yeah, no, I I just basically agree with everything you said. I mean, it is just a bit too long, and a few things could have been fixed. But you know, all the people going on like it was the worst thing ever created in the nineties really need to get a life because this really isn't that bad at it, all. It, it really isn't. I don't. I mean, each to their own. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. But I feel like a lot of, particularly at the time of its release, a lot of the negativity came from the marketing or, you know, let's be honest, sexism. Yeah. You know, yeah. a little bit of misogyny thrown in Absolutely. there, if, if you want. You know, the idea of how do you mean... And it, I, I think it is quite telling that, you know, at the time she was paid the most as an actress mm -hmm. for a role based around nudity. And she was paid $12.5 million to perform, yeah. you know, nudity. Well, that's not her fault. Mm -hmm. That's not, you know, that... Look at Hollywood. Look at society. That's not Demi's fault. No. And if, you know... Trust and believe, if somebody called me tomorrow and said, Chris, I want you to do some stripping, 
for twelve and a half million dollars, I'd be like, yeah, where do you want me? Where do you need? Either me? way, an actress being paid that much to star in a film should I'd should be have been twelve pound fifty. It should have been celebrated, not absolutely freaking... it should be celebrated. Yeah. And I think we're at that point now, and it's why you know when you said it's kind of ahead of its time. Mm. In many ways, it is. Yeah. Because I do think, and I, I, I don't think we're a hundred percent there. I don't. No. But I hope that, you know, in the future we will celebrate these, kind of roles. Mm-hmm. You know that because it is, in in my opinion, you know kind of an honest role yeah you know it's not washing over you know something like hustlers yeah it it takes it even greater and makes it Mm -hmm. grittier but yeah and probably more real Mm -hmm. but i think to i think it's a disservice to the women who do perform as dancers in strip clubs who do enjoy their work i think it's a disservice to say that you know, this is crap because mm-hmm. of that, you yeah. know? Well, let's get to the awards. Yes. The biggest queen, of course, is Erin. Of course, it's Erin. Um, absolutely. I said I said it before, and, and I know it's not the be-all and end-all, but Demi Moore was absolutely stunning in yeah. this film. Like, she really was. What a beautiful woman. Biggest gasp, I have Burt Reynolds covered in Vaseline. Burt Reynolds plus Vaseline. Equals gasp. Yes. <laughs> Not the film festival. <laughs> Best dialogue I have. Just a touch of your hand sets my pecker on fire. Uh, I put, how do I look? Better than me. And that ain't easy. And I put that because I am stealing that. And <laughs> uh, finally, that's camp. There's many choices, but I've got Demi Moore dancing to Little Bird by Annie Lennox whilst in a towel and brushing her teeth. I put the fact that Erin only dances to Annie Lennox <laughs> songs, apart from that one time, is high camp. That is camp. High camp. It is. And for ratings, I give it six horny trips to SeaWorld out of ten. <laughs> I gave it six sticky balls of lint out of ten. And masterpiece, trash to piece, trash or basic. It's none of the above. It's, it's just fun. Yeah, I would. I just would recommend it. I, yeah. I I genuinely would recommend it. Um, I would also recommend maybe a director's cut. At yeah. Some point, you know. Yeah. Get rid of the guff. Um, but I would. You know, if somebody said, "I'm thinking of watching striptease," I said, "Go for it, love." Yeah, and if you want to, it's available on video on demand and DVD. And if you enjoy this, I recommend checking out Strip to Kill. Yes, previous podcast film. Yes. And an, another previous podcast film, Showgirls, yeah. is what I would recommend. And uh, if you're a fan of striptease, then let us know on social media. We are Horrorcult Trash over on Facebook and Instagram. Horrorcult Trash on Twitter. I'm dead at Gaz92 on Letterboxd. Gazmo205 on Instagram. And GazCruz92 on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker 823 on Instagram and Letterboxd. And check out our horror film festival, Gasp Horror Fest, uh, across all social media at Gasp Horror Fest. And if you enjoyed this episode, then, and if you're feeling generous, give us a rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, like a follow on everything else. We will be back on Friday with our highlights from this year's Glasgow Film Festival. Oh, yeah. And it was a good one. It was a good one. It was a good one. And we'll be back the same time next week with... An episode on 
the much requested actually. Um, oh. We've had this request a few times. We'll be discussing Extro. Yeah. Um, weird one. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> Which, in my book, means a good episode. I hope so. I hope so. And we'll be back same time, same place on Friday. Bye. Bye.